1: Consulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 9400. Now, your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth.
0: Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. Today I'm here with Robin Throckmorton. She is the president of Strategic HR. Thanks for joining us today, Robin.
2: Thanks, Mike.
0: Let me give the folks who are listening a quick background on you. Is that fair?
2: That sounds good.
0: If I say anything that's not quite right, your job is to correct. Fair? <laughs> okay, fair. But Robin uh, started uh, strategic HR about 10, year, 10 years ago? 17, 1995.
2: 1995,
0: okay. And interestingly, has been a, an award winner in 2008, 2009, and 2012 of the uh, Regional Cincinnati Chamber of Commerce Small Business Excellence Awards for uh, 10 Under 10. And she was, a uh, in 2010, a finalist for the Small Business Excellence and Women of the Year Entrepreneur Award. That's a that's a great honor, Robin. Yeah, Thank you. I was there last week when you picked up your award. Oh,
2: thank they, you for they, coming.
0: They only had 600 people in the room. That should make the sound a lot better. Okay, Robin has also written uh, a book called Bridging the Generations Gap, and has been a frequent speaker at conferences on the subject of generational differences and retention and recruiting strategies uh, and labor trends. Robin, in the workforce today, that's perhaps the first question, how many generations should an employer be typically looking at?
2: Generally speaking, I'd say five. A lot of times you'll see different sociologists group them differently, but the radio babies are the oldest, the baby boomers, the Gen X, the Gen Ys, and then the millennials are the ones 21 and younger, and we're starting to see them edge into the workplace, too. Mm.
0: And, and there's a difference uh, the way an employer or a boss would handle uh, each generation?
2: How you would manage them, recruit them, retain them, communicate with them, handle conflict, it all varies by some of the factors that were influenced as they were growing up, whether it's technology, history, that type of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that a, a lot of younger people, one of the millennials of the youngest generation, mm-hmm. uh, if we want to communicate with them. We better text them.
2: Exactly, they will respond to you if you text, but if you leave them a message or um, try to call them, you're not going to get a return voicemail or an, or uh, someone answer the phone. Typically, mm-hmm. I wouldn't stereotype the whole group that way, but generally speaking, they they prefer text.
0: <laughs> yeah, prefer text. I know I've, I I was working with one last week, and I told them in the text message, call me between three and three thirty so that we can talk for 20 minutes. Did it work? Absolutely. (laughs) Guy didn't answer his phone, but he responds and and performs with the uh, text message. So that was just fine.
2: You get the other side of that. If you have a um, radio baby or even an older baby boomer, they're going to prefer if they call you to get you live or your assistant live. Mm-hmm. Rather than leaving a voicemail message or talking to you via voicemail or email, so a Gen X generation that I am, we're all talking via email. So sometimes that's hard when the generations have different interests. So you got to realize what their preference is and try to accommodate them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Different generations work differently. Yes, absolutely. Now, Robin, you also hold a BS from Purdue. That's usually a school I associate with engineers.
2: <laughs> Very good school of management, Craner, but definitely an engineering school, too.
0: Okay. And then uh, you went to uh University of Cincinnati and, and became certified as a senior professional human resources person.
2: Right. Right. SPHR, the Senior Professional Human Resource Certification, is basically the equivalent of your CPA in the accounting world or the PE in the engineering world. It's the HR certification saying you know HR. <laughs> there's a no, there's a PHR and an SPHR, so there's different levels that you can get.
0: Okay, and and you regularly volunteer for uh, working in certain organizations, uh, and, and you're on the. You're a member of and a bo- on a, on the board of trustees of the Personnel Committee of the Council on Aging. Yes, absolutely. How did you get involved with that? <laughs>
2: they actually were a client for a while. Oh, really? But yeah, it's as you can imagine. With the generations, we have an aging workforce, so working with seniors and helping them as they go through the next phases of their life is definitely fits right into the generations too. Good,
3: good.
0: Uh, before we go much further, let me tell you uh who else is going to be beyond uh this week. Uh on the seventeenth of May, we're going to have Greg Hartman. He's the uh president and owner of the Christian Moorline Brewing Company in Over the Rhine. He's also the general manager of the Moorline Brewhouse down on uh the banks. It should be interesting. Uh next week we're going to have Jody. Smith Gosling, she's the Eastern President of Possible Worldwide. And the following Friday, June 1st, we're going to have Dave Bellows. He is the former owner of Thorne Lighting and has started a new company in, I'm going to call it hard money lending. Some people might call that factoring accounts receivable. So he'll he'll be telling us a, a, an interesting story. And on June 7th, we'll have uh, Roger Rosner. Roser, who is the CEO of uh, the Eisen Group, a uh, fast-growing public relations company located over in northern Kentucky. Uh, Robin, why don't you tell the folks a little bit about how you got here? How did you decide 18 years ago to open up a HR consulting company?
2: Sure, Mike. Uh, I would say the stars were aligned. Um, I grew up in a family-owned business, so I definitely have that entrepreneur in my background from being with grandparents and parents running their business. My last real job, as everybody likes to point it out, was working at the Department of Energy facility out at Fernald. My project was to design a voluntary reduction and force package that would entice someone like me to take it, and I did. I was um, finishing my master's in human resources at the time, I had the opportunity to take the package. One of my professors was saying, Robin, you have to go into consulting. In fact, that was Linda Gravitt who wrote Bridging the Generation Gap with me. And the timing was perfect. So I took the package and, you know, within just a few months, had my first client and been busy ever since.
0: Okay. So you're one of the people out at Pernalt, fooling around with the nuclear waste.
2: I glow in the dark at night. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I don't want to find out. <laughs> In looking at the problems that the companies have in HR today, just as problem areas, let's not go into it right now, but what are the key areas that people are bringing someone like you in to help them with?
2: Good question, Mike. Um, When we started the business, it was just me, and we've grown now to six employees, probably a few more to come. And so we continue to evolve as the economy changes and the needs of employers change. But some of the biggest areas that we see people needing help with is smaller businesses that don't have an HR department are being overwhelmed by employee issues coming up. It's not part of my job, but it's my business, or the whole gamut of the legal complexity of employment and what do I need to comply with. So we're seeing a lot in those areas. So typical projects might be, Um, Help me write an employee handbook, or I've got to terminate an employee, or I've got to hire an employee. So we have a nice wheel that we use to lay it out for our employers and our prospects so they can understand all the areas that involve HR. Some of our more mid-sized companies that have a lean HR department, but they do have somebody in there, are more likely to use us as that extra pair of hands or special projects because their plates are already full. But when they get asked to hire 25 more people or to um, create a performance management program or you know, any type of project that's just another thing that's being dumped on their desk, that's when we can come in and help them because we do everything in the area of human resources.
0: Okay. Uh, an area of confusion that uh, comes up a lot is the whole question of uh, PEOs or uh professional employer organizations, in your opinion, and I know you're not a lawyer, A, are they legal?
2: <laughs> I believe they would be legal, but no, I'm not an attorney. It's interesting you asked that, and I'm proud that you know what a PEO is because that's the first, time, first question I often get from people is, what is this EPO, PEO, what is that called? And I try to sit down with them. I just use the buzzword, sorry. I sit down with them and explain to them their choices when they need HR And a PEO is definitely one. A PEO is good if you've got a, um, I'd say, small group of employees where just managing the administration of HR is a challenge because a PEO can provide you payroll support, workers' comp support, even some of your insurance. I've had clients that struggle with workers' comp coverage because they've had incidents or getting health insurance, and a PEO wraps it up as a group, so that helps them a lot. A PEO traditionally is not going to get into the employee relations or the recruiting aspects. Um, a PEO will also lease your employees back to you, so you lose a little bit of control, but I mean, they really, but they're not going to control your employees, but you don't own your employees, the PEO does. Um, we're different that, one, we don't provide the payroll, the workers' comp, the benefits, but we work just like we're your HR department. So if you need payroll, we're going to help you get a payroll provider and make sure it's administered regularly. If you need workers' comp, we're going to help you find the best MCO and TPA, but we're not going to be your workers' comp solution. So we work just like an HR department. In fact, some of my clients are on a PEO, but we supplement the PEO by providing the recruiting and employee relations issues that they don't necessarily get with the PEO. And, you know, the third way that we might talk to them is, are you ready to hire somebody? And then you've got the perspective of, is it a full-time HR person, a part-time HR person? Is it a... Entry-level person that strategic HR continues to help them with the strategic levels, or is it a high-level person because they're ready to hit the road running? So we'll work with them to figure out what is the what solution is best for their situation.
0: hmm And over the years, how many companies have you worked with, Robin? More than I can
3: count.
2: <laughs> I mean, we probably have a um, client list right now of well over thirty. And I'd say at any one time, we have 30 to 50 clients. Mm-hmm. So over 18, 17, 18 years, I, I'd have to do that math.
0: <laughs> okay. So uh, sometimes it sounds like projects are uh, short-term,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and i call those task-oriented, and sometimes they're long-term. We Your company takes over the uh, HR role for a company.
2: Exactly. For example, I have a, a client we've been working with in northern Kentucky probably since the first of the year, and I have one of my um, contractors on the project there three days a week, and she is their HR person. Um, I have a couple of projects we're working on right now where we're doing employee opinion surveys. So it's it's a one-time project, like you said. It'd be identifying what needs to be assessed, doing the assessment, and providing the feedback. So definitely some things are very project-based, and others are a long-term need until we feel like that, that they're ready to hire somebody.
0: Sure. Uh what size of company do you typically work with from how many employees to how many employees
2: generally the the smaller ones that don't have h r could be as small as i got somebody yesterday that had three employees starting to hit issues typically small is around five to ten when they're just starting um but the small with no employees I've had as big as five hundred actually had one that was even bigger <laughs> that even had no yes that had no h r if you're if you're getting at about 100, you need to be thinking about what you're doing. I'd say our average is around 75 that have no HR, but we do get the whole gamut all the way up to nearly 2,000 that still haven't walked out and asked for HR help. Wow,
0: that's that's unbelievable. You wouldn't have run into problems. Uh, yes,
2: those kinds that, of numbers. that's what scared us about the larger ones. The smaller ones aren't going to need as much. You know, if you have less than 10 employees, your issue is probably going to be an employee relations issue that came up and made you go, huh? Why don't I have an employee handbook that would have saved me from paying that unemployment claim? Or my employees threatening to sue me because we terminated them?
0: Well, well, that's that's a good point. Why don't you explain for the, to the folks how an employee handbook could save you from paying for unemployment?
2: Sure. Um, for for an, um, unemployment, you generally are going to have policies in your handbook. For example, attendance. Or performance expectations that type of thing in your employee handbook and it's going to be important that those policies are followed because if you don't follow the policies then that can be used against you so you may hear people say oh I don't have a handbook because I hear it works against you only if you have vague policies or you don't follow them will it be used against you otherwise as an example if you have to terminate someone for attendance, you've obviously gone through what's in your policy on attendance. And then when you submit the paperwork on the unemployment request, you're going to include your policy and show the history of their attendance problems, And it will definitely work in your favor because you've implemented it. Be careful that you don't have other policies that you don't follow. We had one situation where they didn't do performance reviews at all. Mm-hmm. But in the, policy, in the handbook, it said we do reviews once a year. Unemployment said you can't pick and choose what policies you'll follow.
0: That could be a big problem for employers.
2: Exactly. A lot of people won't fight their unemployment, and and it is definitely typically tipped in favor of the employee. But if you have the documentation and you're following strict policies, it will definitely work in your favor for an unemployment decision.
0: Bob, we're going to take a short break and listen to uh, a couple of messages. We'll be right back.
4: Hi, this is Matthew Neuberger with Sandler Training, and I'm here to share Sandler Rule Number 11, Money Does Grow on Trees. Now, if you were to think conceptually for a second, there are three main components to this. One is, is you have to grow your referral network so you don't start from scratch every time you want to develop a client. Two, you have to build branches onto your referral tree. And third, you have to water that tree to keep it healthy. So the reality today is that it is really hard to start the sales process over and over again from scratch. And there really is a better way. Most of us know it, we just don't follow it. So if you can imagine for a second taking a piece of paper, drawing a vertical line down the center and putting a horizontal line at the bottom, this would be the base of your tree. Every time you add a client, you are adding a branch to that tree. Each branch can sprout more branches. This becomes your referral tree. Somebody who's a professional at what they do understands the simple concept that every time they add a customer, they ask that customer for a referral, and when they get that referral, the next thing they do is, is they make sure that they take that referral from cool to warm based on their relationship with their existing customer. They take that opportunity, they close that opportunity, they ask for another referral. They take that referral, build off the relationship with the client, and take that referral opportunity from cool to warm to hot. And it's actually something that's really great to see. You watch this tree blossom and you watch this salesperson blossom as well into a very mature professional salesperson. Remember, money does grow on trees. Referral tree.
0: Imagine you just left your prospect's office and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger. Or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. Well, this is Mike Roth, and I'm back with uh, Robert Brock Morton. And we're we're talking about various HR issues, things that that she's had some experience with. Uh, It's interesting, because you you were talking about before the break, uh, letting an employee go for attendance reasons. I actually have a client Having that exact problem, <laughs> he's got an employee who's extremely good at showing up at work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday.
2: Oh, it comes on Monday though.
0: Yes, but we believe her husband has Friday off, so she's not good at attendance on Fridays. Yeah. Uh, what kinds of things should an employer like that uh, have in their manual uh, to cover them?
2: You definitely want to have an attendance policy. How strict your policy is or how detailed your policy is depends a lot on your company culture and environment. We have some companies that are very um, family-friendly, very open, non-parental. So there's a very different tone in what's written versus ones that feel like, you know, we need to spell it out exactly how it's going to be. Um, Obviously, I mentioned earlier, the more specific it is, the better it's going to work in your favor, the more vague it is that leaves it into interpretation. So if it's, you know, you can miss three times and you're out, no you know, no reasons accepted, or is it if you have an excuse and you call ahead, is it a no call, no show? There's a lot of things to consider about how you want to handle it. And then the key is following it, making sure you don't make an exception for this, employee, but not this employee. Make sure you're as consistent as possible. So the example you gave, I would definitely encourage them. They have a verbal conversation with the individual and, and explain the problems with their attendance and the consistency with Friday. Talk about what you're going to do to improve it, what they're going to do to improve it. If it happens again, it becomes a written statement with, again, what's the plan? If you 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 know if you miss again, this is what happens, or what's the consequence? You can decide if it's, it's that's it, or if you're going to do another written um, write-up on them. But you need to follow through. So I do have clients that say, yeah, yeah, I want to do all that. And then when it comes to firing them, they're not ready to do it. And once the employees see that, you're toast because they know I can push it and push it and you won't let me go.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, uh, thinking of the re- about the reality in this particular case, uh, the employer did let the uh, the employee go Uh, didn't have a replacement uh, for her in his back pocket. She pleaded with him, called him, and said, I won't let that happen again. And he had another conversation with her and rehired her.
2: Has it been long enough to know how it's working?
0: No, that's only been about two weeks.
2: (laughs) And and that's important. If they're going to bring him back or if they decide to give him another chance, be very clear on what's expected So that, again, if you go to file an employment or they would sue you for some reason, you have documentation and you've set clear expectations of what is expected going forward, that it is a second chance. It's not where we don't follow our policies.
0: Yeah. Really, it's a second chance with a more limited uh, policy. Exactly. Right. Uh, Once upon a time here, we had to fire an administrative employee who was consistently late, consistently Oddball late. And we had a written policy. We gave her the warning letters. Mm -hmm. Gave her the 30 days to actually show up every day on time. Yep. She did that. Got off probation. You know what she did next?
2: She was late the very next day.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So you know what I did? I terminated her.
2: And how'd that go for you?
0: Uh... It wasn't a pleasant experience for her. It wasn't a pleasant experience for me. Yeah. Now, uh, probably a year later, I get a telephone call from her. And by by quirk, she's working for one of my clients. (laughs) And she says, Mike, thanks. The best thing that's ever happened to me in my life is when you fired me.
2: There you go. So it was rough then, but it did pay back later.
0: Yeah, she said, I finally learned how to show up
3: on time.
2: Good. It could have gone so many ways. And then, you know, it gets into that gray area of should you have given her another you know, She was outside the 30-day window. Should you have given her another chance? That type of thing. So it really, your key on all of it is documentation. Mm-hmm. A lot of employers don't document because we get busy or... No, I don't need to write it down. I'll remember it, whatever the reason would be. And documentation is just oh, so if, critical.
0: If you were involved in that situation as a, uh, a consultant working for the company, how would you do that? Would, would, would someone from your company actually handle the, the interview about lateness, the termination, and then do a write-up for file?
2: The level of involvement we get into depends on the client, what they want. You know, sometimes we're working with the CEO. Other times we're working with the HR person. Sometimes people want to be able to call and say, tell me what I need to do. Other times they say, I don't want to do it. I'll be in the room, but can you handle it? Or can you be in the room as my witness? So absolutely we could have um, been involved with you. I'd still want you there. And talking to her about the problems, talking to her about the plan for the 30 days, that type of thing. Because, again, employers sometimes, you know, am I, am I going to say the wrong words? Am I going to get myself in trouble? They get worried about some of those things. So just having someone there, the witness is always good. If you're going to have a conversation that you feel like later could come back to haunt you, mm-hmm. having a witness in the room can be extremely helpful because it's not a he said, she said situation.
0: Yeah. It reminds me of another situation we had. This was back in California, so it's about 25 years ago. We... We terminated a new employee who came into into work drunk two days in a row, uh, out, heavy alcohol on her breath, and uh, frankly, I wasn't aware of it until another employee pointed it out. First that time, we asked her to leave. Second time, we said it's not tolerable. Sayonara, and uh, she. Uh, Filed a workers' comp claim, said I was not workers' comp, unemployment, unemployment, and, and, and said we were unfair. We had a policy no, no drugs or alcohol at, at the place of employment. I brought uh, two witnesses from the company to the California uh, unemployment office, and we lost that case. It was unbelievable.
2: But I will say unemployment in general tends to really lean to the favor of the employee, especially right now in our economy. I don't know, 25 years ago. And then you put in there California. California laws typically be our employee or pro-employee. So Mm -hmm. you've got to have a really strong case. I had one that was a theft issue, and we fought unemployment. I believe we finally won at the end, but we fought through multiple, multiple appeals to get to the end because they kept saying, you know, well, she should still get unemployment like she stole from the company. you know. But, it, again, it's that documentation. If you have a policy against um, alcohol or drugs in the workplace, if you have it written that it's not tolerated and can include termination, or if you have a policy for termination that you have in termination at will, which I don't think California is termination at will, but Ohio mm-hmm. is, or you can terminate. You mean terminate employment for, at will?
0: Pardon? You mean employment at will.
2: Employment at will. Yeah, employment, you
0: said termination at
2: will. Well, terminate would be employment at will. You can terminate them at will. You don't have to have the reason. Now, that doesn't mean you'll win unemployment. You have the right to terminate. Um, And then make sure your termination policy, a lot of people like to list the reasons why you would get terminated or disciplined Mm -hmm. and forget the statement. And and, uh, depending on circumstances, it could, we may not follow this policy. You may be terminated immediately. You got to have some language in there that does give you the out for that unexpected that you can't imagine to put in the list that would ever happen, like an employee showing up to work drunk two days in a row. Right. So generally speaking, (laughs) you probably did everything perfect, but generally speaking, you would win if you are able to show that you have that documentation in the policy and how you handled it.
0: So, when you start working with a new client, uh, what percentage of them actually have a uh, employee manual before you start with them?
2: Uh, that's a good question, Mike. It again depends. We do a lot of custom solutions for our clients. Where are you and what do you need? Most of our smaller businesses, that's probably how they're going to start with us is something happened, so they need an employee handbook. Or they have one they found on the Internet, and they need to make sure that it looks more like their company and follows what they need to do with the laws changing daily. So I'd say a large percent don't. But, again, we work with some of those mid-sized companies that have an HR person, and they usually do. The key is keeping it up to date, though. The first question when they say they have one, I always say is, when did you last update it? You know, 2005, 2006, I mean, we've had a lot of changes in the laws with the Obama administration that if you haven't updated it in the last year or less, then I'd worry about what's in it.
0: What kind of changes would be missing in a manual that's more than uh, a year old?
2: Um, One of the biggest things that we're running into, and in fact, I had an attorney speak at one of my groups on this topic, is social media issues.
0: Social media. A lot of businesses are using those in, in their business. And
2: do you want, how do you want your employees to handle it? Do you want employees to be on social media, which is a good branding thing, but they're out there representing you, and there's new legislation that came out with the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, that controls that you can't put mechanisms in your policies that restrict the employment activities of your employees. It it can impact them wanting to be a union. It's their employment condition. So they're out talking on Facebook or LinkedIn, upset about their boss, you may be irate about it, but are they talking about employment conditions? So it impacts how you have your social media policy written. And that's a whole discussion.
0: <laughs> Gee, I, I'll bet probably more than half of our uh, listeners don't have a policy about social media in their uh, manual.
2: A lot of of people will not have it, which in some regards could be good, but also are you comfortable with them out talking about you on behalf of the company because it violates the um, Federal Trade Commission, the FTC requirements that you can't promote your company and make it look like you're promoting it. You need to say, I'm with Strategic HR and this is my opinion um not strategic hr's opinion so you you need to be sure that when you're posting stuff out there it doesn't look like false advertising and an employee could do that inadvertently and not realize it
0: that could be a a, a real serious issue
2: mm-hmm.
0: and uh what are the consequences of of that lots of fines
2: you probably get a warning the first time, depending There's on the-
0: Someone like the Federal Trade Commission.
2: Exactly, you may get a, a warning the first time, depending on the situation and the gravity of it, um, but it definitely could result in fines, and it, it just depends on what it is, how large that fine could be.
0: How large could it be?
2: Um, you know, I. I honestly couldn't give you an answer to that. But I'll, I'll tell you, when you start fighting any employment law issue, you're talking about at least $100,000 just in attorney fees, and that may not even be
0: going to court. Wow. That's enough to put a lot of small businesses out of business. Exactly.
2: And unfortunately, and I have to agree with them because I'm a business owner, a lot of us as small business owners want to say, I'm going to run my business the way I run my business. Nobody can tell me what to do. Um, and unfortunately, it can get you into it. Closure because you don't follow the laws that are set up for us.
0: So you have an employee manual in your company, right?
2: We um, have a, a smattering of policies, but not a formal handbook.
0: Really? How come you want that one?
2: Um, busy. <laughs> Guilty as charged.
0: Is that like the shoemaker? Doesn't have
2: shoes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but we tried to attack the critical ones that we were having come up. Um our environment is much like I mentioned with some of our employers that we're doing manuals for right now. It's a very non-parental, you know, we have a, a policy where you take your vacation as much as you want when you need it as long as your job's done. Mm-hmm. So some of those, putting them in writing, could backfire on us. But we're a very open and loose environment that everybody's there because they want to be there. If they don't want to be there, we'd rather them leave.
0: So uh, what would be a, a good social media policy that you've got? For our our environment. Yeah, yeah, your
2: environment. Um probably the best one is what Zappos has and theirs is just we encourage you to be out there and doing what you need to do to share people with how great your job is and feel comfortable doing it. Um, obviously, with my employees, they're all HR consultants, so they've been to multiple trainings on social media, and it, it'll change again tomorrow, Mike, so <laughs> whatever I tell you right now may be outdated tomorrow, but they realize that when they're out there on the Internet, whether it's LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, that they're connected back to strategic HR, so they need to be aware of whether they say something about their boss, <laughs> me, mm-hmm or they say something about a client or, or our company, they, they're aware of whether it's personal or professional, they're, they're rep- representing the company.
0: Uh, should a company, ha- and we'll take this last question, then we'll go to a, a short commercial. Should a company have a policy about how much time every day at work an employee is allowed to be on social media?
2: If you have problems with it, it could be. I've had some employers actually block it, so you can't get Facebook at all. And I've had other employers say, again, you know, if they're out there doing it as long as they're doing it for business, but productivity goes really low if they're spending all day long on Facebook or anything like that. And, you know, if you've ever gone on it, you get sucked into it pretty easy, and time goes by pretty fast.
0: Right. It does burn up a lot of time. That's why uh, some people.
2: If they're getting their job done,
0: get their job done. Good. Let's uh, have a quick commercial, and then we'll be back. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. You've heard our commercials about sales and sales management, but you haven't made the call for some reason. Maybe you're having your best year ever. Maybe you think a sales development company won't work in your industry. You're different. I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Maybe you're afraid that if you called, you'd buy something. If you're happy with all your sales and profits, And believe you have all the answers or simply don't see yourself investing in yourself or your people, then don't make the call. We have nothing for you. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, mentoring, business owners and sales professionals who are serious about their careers. So if you believe that Sandler Sales Training might make you better, faster, meaner and stronger, call me at 513-646-6523. Or register for our next open house, Roth & Associates, the most experienced sales trainer in Cincinnati. You can check us at www.rothconsulting.net.
3: Hi, I'm George Donovan with Sandler Training. I'm here to talk to you about rule number 19: never help the prospect end the interview. We've all been on sales calls where it's been uncomfortable and the prospect's acting uninterested or maybe even a little bit hostile. Your inclination is to close your portfolio, get up, and walk out. But don't. This rule calls for you to hang in there. Ask the question that gets the issue on the table. Chances are, it's not you. Maybe it's your company's past performance that's the problem. Or perhaps another company that sells similar products or services. Or maybe it's another salesperson that has nothing to do with you or your company, but you'll never know unless you ask. So it sounds something like this. Let's suppose your prospect's name was Bill. You'd say, Bill, you seem a little bit skeptical. Is there something that I've said or done that's made you feel this way, and if it is, could we talk about it? Or maybe you say, Bill, I sense that there's a problem. Would it be okay if we talked about that for a minute? So the important part is that you ask. It takes the pressure off of you, and it helps the prospect work through the issue so you can get by it and get back to the interview. So the next time you're in an uncomfortable sales call, don't bail. Hang in there and remember rule number 19, never help the prospect and the interview.
0: This is Mike Roth. I'm back here with uh, Robin Throckmorton. Robin, I think we forgot to do this at the beginning of the show. Why don't you tell everyone who's listening how they can get a hold of you and your company?
2: Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, you can reach Strategic HR, myself and our team, at www.strategichrinc.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-C-H-R-I-N-C.com. Or call us directly at 513-697-9855. Mike, it's funny that you said that because one of the things I tell people all the time is check out our website. We have a tremendous amount of free resources on there that people will, will use and then eventually call us later, but they may use it for years. We have an emerging issues in HR newsletter that they can subscribe to that's an article on an HR topic. We have an HR question of the week they can subscribe to that's a question they may have even asked us that we've um, felt was important for other people to hear. It's confidential. We don't say who said what. We have all of those stored on our website so you can see past questions, past articles. We have a list of all the federal labor laws that you need to comply with by the number of employees that you have and links to the actual law if you have trouble sleeping at night. You can go in there and read those and see what the law actually says for you. And then a ton of other resources, including our HR store, that has just small toolkits that you can purchase to get by with, we were talking about earlier, termination or coaching employees, that type of thing. There's a lot of information on the site that a lot of people like to take advantage of. So how many
0: different toolkits does your company offer, Robbie? Uh,
2: Right now we have a termination toolkit and a coaching toolkit. We're working on a new hire toolkit a lot of times it's depending on the client demands that have, they've asked for, so we're, we go ahead and put them out there. We also have desktop references. Uh, for example, I'm sure you've never been in a situation where you or your managers weren't sure what you were allowed to or not allowed to ask
0: in an, an interview. there <laughs> an interview, yeah, sure.
2: We right. have a, a desktop reference that lists what you shouldn't ask and what law dictates that, and how could you ask it that maybe wouldn't be as illegal to get to the same end result. So it's a good tool to have your hiring managers have sitting on their desk? We have a list of the employment laws by the number of employees that again you can have sitting at your desk going, oh, we're going to add that fiftieth person. What does that mean? So we have mm. different tools like that to, available in our yeah, HR there was, store.
0: There are certain Japanese companies uh, in town that when they hit, I think it's 250 employees, instead of adding more employees, decide to add a new factory <laughs> to uh, to avoid unit unitization and some of the, the problems with large numbers of employees in one place.
2: And you typically you'll see, especially with the Japanese, the key is taking care of your employees. If your employees are happy, there's not a reason for them to unionize. If they're not happy, they have a reason to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you help companies in that situation that are fighting the possible unionization of their company?
2: We have a couple individuals in our resource base that have that labor relations background that we can pull in. Again, every situation is going to be different of where they are. The biggest key is to start before it's an issue. Um, if your employees are happy, it not only is going to keep you from having a union, but it's going to make life a lot easier at work. They're going to be a lot more productive, mm-hmm. and they're going to be happier, so they're going to be more likely to refer other people. They're going to do a lot more for you if they're happier, so it's not just a union issue you're avoiding by trying to make sure your employees are happy. You want to keep them around as long as you can if they're doing a great job for you.
0: Why don't you tell our audience how you go to market? How do you... Find all of these clients, Robin.
2: Mike, they fall in my lap. <laughs> they
0: fall in your lap. I'm looking up. I just don't see where they fall. We
2: we do a tremendous amount of um, volunteer work in the community in the HR community. We do a lot of article publications, um, not just with emerging issues in HR that I mentioned earlier on our site, but a lot of people will pick up our articles throughout the the world, actually. We do a lot of speaking engagements for different association and groups on related HR topics. So we get pulled in for a lot of that. My magic is if they hear my name twice and they need me, they're probably going to call me.
0: Right. So they
2: t- too tend to fall in my lap.
0: <laughs> so, so how many speaking engagements per year do you normally do, Robin?
2: I could easily myself, not counting my team, do five a month.
0: You do five speaking engagements a month. Hell of a good prospecting activity.
2: It is. And, again, I don't necessarily walk away with someone saying, I need you, but I can't tell you how many times I've had someone say, I saw you speak, and and there's the connection. That was one of the connections I made with them, and then maybe they signed up for our newsletter, and that was another connection.
0: Okay, so you keep track of who signed up for your newsletter.
2: I have that list, but I always ask when someone contacts me, how did you hear about us? And that's when I usually get the story of, I've been using your website, or I saw you speak, or I got your article. Um, we have a pretty robust website. We get, I forget the number because I'm not number rated. We get quite a bit of visitors to our site, so we actually get a lot of business that just comes from our website, too. We have an HR job board on our site that's free, so HR, um Individuals can post their resume at no cost, and employers can view them, and then employers can post HR-related jobs on our site for free. I think I probably have close to 50 jobs on the board right now that have been just in the last 60 days. So we find a lot of people find each other that way and use our website for that reason.
0: So do you see the number of uh, hires happening, uh, going up, neutral, or down right now?
2: I love talking about that, Mike, because a lot of people try to argue with me um, because unemployment is high. In fact, I just sent out an article on our um, LinkedIn profile and a few other places yesterday that says we are no longer in an employer market. It is now a job seeker market. And that's absolutely, to answer your question, what we've seen is that the job postings on our job shop have increased tremendously, but we do a lot of outsourced recruiting for clients, and it is clearly a job seeker's market. You know, there's still some people unemployed. So there's little niches that you're seeing that might be different than that. But if you're trying to find a technical person, an engineer, an IT person, even a receptionist or accounts receivable, there's people are being very choosy about where they're going to go, and there's not an abundance of people. So unemployment of, what are we at, 7.5% may become our new full employment.
0: Really. So you think the marketplace has definitely changed, and it's a job seeker's market.
2: Absolutely. I I get candidates that we're recruiting that have multiple job offers, and that's not unusual lately, that they will say, well, I just got another offer, and I have three more coming tomorrow, and we're in there competing with that.
0: Wow. What kind of industry, what type of job, someone's getting three or four job offers?
2: Um, Some of these are engineers. We're looking for a lot of engineers for a particular client, and then, like I said, we've had um, other positions that are accounting, HR, that type of thing, and You know, once one of those candidates puts their name out there that they're looking, they're out out there looking and won't be looking long.
0: Mm. And uh, from your perspective, you see the economy going up from here?
2: Absolutely. I attended the Claremont Chamber's economic forecast last week um, where they had Brian come in and speak. Yes, and he echoed the same thing. We should see a a continued upward trend through early 2014, and then a tiny dip, and then a great 15, 16, and 17 before we see another recession, and I'm feeling that.
0: (laughs) I've I've seen that uh, in some industries, but not so much in construction, commercial construction,
2: It was interesting because I talked to a client yesterday that is in the construction industry, and they said the same thing. It's still a little slow, but they're seeing, you know, about a year out from now it'll pick up. And Brian addressed that. He said, if you compare it, you probably do see an increase, but not where they were or where they'd like to be, but we're at least seeing a minimal increase, which is really good.
0: What we're seeing is employers are are hiring more salespeople, and they are this year – more willing to invest in their sales teams to take market share, even where the whole market is down 20 or 30% from where it was at its peak. What do you see as the uh, opportunities and possibilities in your market?
2: For strategic HR or just in general for for HR? For
0: strategic HR, because you certainly have some uh, interesting competitors where you're serving a client who actually as their own HR department, you're, you're, you're working against yourself, it seems.
2: <laughs> a lot of times people think that, but they find that we're there as a partner. You know, it's one of our big things. We partner with you, and, you know, we're not going to do things we don't feel like you need to do. We're not going to stay around longer than you need us to stay around, but we're absolutely going to be there every minute of the way that you do need us. Um, opportunities, definitely you'll see the growth in the small business sector, and that's what I think we've seen a lot in the last year for us as the small business sector. Many cases had cash during the recession, but we're conservative, and we're seeing them come out and needing the help. We're even seeing other companies starting to grow. So adding more services but staying very lean is important to them. So, again, that helps us from the perspective that we can supplement them. Um, our outsource recruiting solution that we offer is a little unique, and it kind of goes to that effect is we can ebb and flow with you. And, you know, if you have 25 openings today or two today and none tomorrow, we ebb and flow with you. Um, our outsource recruiting is a little different. A lot of people think of either using a recruiting agency to do recruiting, doing it themselves, or hiring a contractor. And we can provide all of those, too. <laughs> but our outsource recruiting is the best solution in that we work with you as an extension, your staff, providing you from, A, I, I need to hire this person. What does it look like? To, writing the ad, getting the ads out there, sourcing and cold calling candidates, all the way up to interviewing and getting them on board. And we do that as an extension of you remotely, and then you just pay us an hourly rate plus expenses, and it ends up being much cheaper. Some clients will have us to work with recruiting firms because of the high demand for the jobs, and they want to make sure we have all resources in place. Other clients will say, I'm very cost conscious. I can't afford to spend a nickel on this. So um, they want us to do everything we can to keep the cost down, but find the right people. So
0: instead of paying twenty or twenty-five or even 35 percent of the first year salary, they pay you a hourly rate mm-hmm. to work on recruiting to find a, uh, a vice president of manufacturing.
2: Yep. And it, you know, generally I generally I don't track it the way you would track it if you're a, um, a placement firm, but generally speaking, our costs have been about three to eight percent. We generally tell people to budget ten percent of the salary but we're not billing you on a percentage. We're billing you for actual time worked. And a lot of our clients, whether it's the mid-sized company with an HR department or the small one that doesn't, find it helpful because they're the ones doing that and they don't have time in the day to do it. So it saves them time and they get the expertise of a group of, eight, of recruiting folks. Um, and many times we have the resources that they may not be able to tap into and we can focus the time, whether today it's, like I said, a lot of openings to them, maybe two, and a lot maybe fifty, and then tomorrow it may be none, and they don't need to hire a recruiter when they're ebbing and flowing like that. Uh,
0: you've indicated that you have a, a an extremely robust website. You guys didn't program that yourselves, did you? Yeah.
2: Years ago, I, I I did, and I've over the years had different people help me, but one of my personal goals with my business as an owner has been to outsource what isn't my specialty, trying to live up to what I'm telling my clients to do. If HR is not your specialty, outsource it. So I have a fabulous web designer that maintains our website for us. We push a lot of information to them, but I no longer have to be in the middle of writing it, designing it, fixing problems, that type of thing. So... Again, anything that I can outsource that isn't my specialty, I realize that's what I need to do to be successful.
0: So inside your company, do you have your own CRM system, or are you you using one of the standard off-the-shelf systems?
2: Um, Probably not the most effective to what Mike's about to tell me, but my CRM would be my um, email system, and then we have an applicant tracking system that maintains client database as well, and I have a spreadsheet. (laughs)
0: Okay. Well, then you might want to talk to Matt Mountain about sales Yeah.
2: (laughs) So I just opened myself up to some sales
0: calls. (laughs) I don't know. It's only only if you want to be more efficient. I can understand having a separate system for for applicants. Uh, But with hundreds of clients over the years, it's probably a good idea to keep track of them. Uh, Your email system, that's how you send that, your newsletters?
2: We actually use Constant Contact to send okay. our newsletters out. Um, for our email system, we have Google Apps for Business, and it has a lot of fabulous features in it. And again, I could have a conversation with you about business owners and things I've found that are helpful for that, but this, uh, Google Apps has been wonderful. I can put How as long much have
0: you been on Google Apps?
2: We transitioned in probably November mm-hmm. and been very happy because we've been Outlook users for years. And it does have a plug-in so you can keep using Outlook.
0: That's good. Uh, Sandler is going to uh, transition late this year or early next year to Google Apps for uh, Sandler Sandler franchisees like, like us. Frankly, I've been apprehensive about using it.
2: There's a lot of things in Google Apps that are... Um, very beneficial and helpful that I enjoy that are not available in Outlook, but there are some things you, you'll lose in Outlook that are from me an Outlook. Example it. And some of what I'm learning every day how to do it. Google Apps has the document feature, and I believe it's going to dri- drives now, so you'll be able to put as much information out basically in the Google Cloud as you want. But we often share documents across the team. We're a remote group, so we don't have that network G drive that a lot of people say. And you can have a document up there and five of us be editing it at one time and be live working on it. That's been great. Um, One of my employees really does like Outlook, says she doesn't like that um, you can't drag and drop stuff and we figured out how to show her how to do that in Google Apps. So there's just things you have to learn that are different but there is, if you're very used to the search features in Outlook, it's there in Google Apps, it's just different than what you may have done. You know, when we switched from Microsoft 2007 to 2010, we kick and scream and then we realize it's better. I believe you'd probably find the same thing with Google Apps.
0: Good. Let me take a second and tell our listeners about some of the Sandler programs that are coming up that are new and different. In June, on June 27th, we have a cold call camp. That's an all-day program. In the morning, we teach people how to get by gatekeepers, get get to the contacts. We're going to talk about how to build three scripts for the contact so that you can quickly determine whether or not they're going to be a prospect for you and set up a face-to-face meeting. We'll talk about five methods of breaking other people's voicemail, so they have to return your call within 24 business hours, at least if they're alive and in the country. And the last two hours of the cold call camp will spend actually making cold calls, recording them, and then debriefing what went right and what went wrong. On the uh, Sandler training calendar, uh, starting on June 15th, we've added a new Sandler Foundations course that's going to run From 12 to about 2.30, we're going to include a light lunch at at, at the start of that, and we're going to run that right through the lunch hour. It's going to run for eight weeks starting June 15th. We have a Sandler Networking course. That's the Sandler Networking Works course that's going to go into Monday mornings starting June 4th, so that's coming up pretty soon. That that will be available to both President's Club members at no charge, uh, except for the materials if they want to buy them, and to uh, people who are not participating in President's Club and want to make their networking more productive. One of the, the reasons that I put that onto the calendar for four weeks is a lot of folks depend on getting referrals and strategic alliances, and they don't know how to make it work. They've gone to a BNI meeting or... PBN or uh, Rainmakers, and it's not highly profitable. Networking really can be highly profitable, but you got to do it, and you got to do it right.
2: Like we see so many people not do that. I mean, they say, well, I went to that event, but they showed up late, and they left the minute it ended and <laughs> didn't go with the purpose of what they're doing, so your program will be really good for that.
0: Right, right. I mean, I walked away from that uh, awards luncheon with no less than 15 people that I spoke to that said, hey, we should talk later. My biggest problem is getting back to them and finding the time to, to have 15 <laughs> extended conversations to figure out whether or not we have an opportunity to help them or they can help us.
2: I told you, Mike, you got to find a way to have more time in the day for me. <laughs> it oh, sounds yes, like you yes. got to work on it too.
0: Yeah, well, the, the way to have more time is to become more efficient with your time. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking about that, we're, 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 we're beginning to uh, approach the end of the show. So, Robin. Let me ask you this question, and maybe it's not a tough question for you, but for some of the listeners it may be. What's the single most important thing a small business owner should do in the HR area to make their business better, or the single area that you find the most problems with?
2: Mike, you attended the luncheon last week where we had a speaker talk about making employees happier. And that would be my answer is remember that your employees are the most important resource that you have in the company. You wouldn't have them if you didn't need them. So making sure you're focused all around, whether it's how you hire them, how you retain them, what benefits you offer them, how you train them. It's the whole gamut of HR. It's making sure your employees are happy. Uh, If you take the attitude of they're lucky to have a job or, you know, treating them like they're a commodity that can be replaced, it, it will impact your business, and you've got to really take care of them.
0: It, it's interesting. Yesterday I was visiting a uh, rather large client, a prospective client, and it was around 11 o'clock, and a guy said, let's go to lunch. And he says, is kosher food okay? I kind of looked and I said, sure. And we went downstairs in this large, large company, and they had a completely kosher cafeteria.
2: They listen to their employees. Yes.
0: One side was uh, meat. The other side was dairy. Even the salad ball was kosher.
2: That's great. Well, and you, we have tools on our site. We have an HR pulse on our homepage that's free. It's a 10-question survey asking you how you're performing in HR, and we have other levels of that that can be taken. But that gives you a good idea to pulse. What am I doing to make sure my employees are happy and am I complying? That type of thing.
0: Yeah. In the cafeteria, they have the largest LCD uh, TV I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs>
3: they like need the break. Yeah.
2: A lot yeah. of employers don't realize the break makes them more productive and, and we're guilty of working right through lunch and right through breaks.
3: Right.
0: I guess that's part of the uh, the American psychology that we can work right through a break. Uh, well, I think we've just about burned out the hour that we told people we're going to be uh, on the air Uh Again, Robin wanted to tell people how they can contact you if they would like to ask you a question.
2: Sure. You can you can contact me directly by phone or on our website. Um, my phone number is 513-697-9855 and our website is our company name Strategic HR. You just go to www.strategichrinc.com. If you want to email me, just put robin@ at in front of our website and you'll get directly to me.
0: Robin, thanks for joining us today. Scott, why don't you take it away?
1: Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.